To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. I, I like to tell people about your book and I'm like, well, if you really want to understand the history of the healthcare regime in the United States, you have to understand like steel. And they're like, what? Um, <laughs> can you can you talk about sort of the the sort of the, the basics of your argument, how we go from this uh, economy in the region uh, in Western Pennsylvania based around steelmaking to to healthcare? Yeah. So the kind of core argument of the book is that a set of political compromises arise out of the class struggles in manufacturing, in the case of Pittsburgh Steel, to kind of stabilize class relations in the post-war period in that industry, which then have a set of kind of knock-on consequences for the healthcare industry, particularly as those political compromises interact with the industrialization. Um, so let me break that down a little bit. Steel industry gets organized like all of American mass production, basically in the 30s by the CIO, you know, in the kind of moment of industrial workers upsurge. And then in the late 40s, after the war, the industrial union movement kind of encounters the Cold War, right? And it has to kind of negotiate its place in Cold War American society. It's a complicated, complex process involving, you know, conflict and compromise and repression and various things. Um one element of that is the question of what the post-war welfare state is going to, how it's going to be organized. You know, historically, the labor movement has stood for, up to this point, the expansion of the socialization of welfare in various ways, including medicine. Uh, and Harry Truman tries to do this, does not succeed, right? And there's a key moment when the industrial unions watch Truman struggling in D.C., and think, you know what, this doesn't seem like it's going to work. And we don't really have the <laughs> we don't really have the political power anymore to deliver on something like this, like as as a labor movement. So let's kind of withdraw from the fray. We'll leave Harry hanging a little bit. And um, although we don't have that kind of political power anymore, we still have an enormous amount of economic power. We can still really grind our industry to a halt. So let's do that and try to win these welfare benefits in the private sector through collective bargaining rather than in the public sector through public policy. And so basically between 1949, 48, 49, and like 51, 52, all the CIO unions pretty much, uh, you know, negotiate different, these different kinds of private health plans, you know, often through Blue Cross. Uh, the miners actually set up their own hospital system in Appalachia. And there's different kinds of experiments, but basically you get around the industrial union movement, the consolidation of employment-based healthcare, which like has not been a norm up until mm -hmm. this time. And there's a couple of steel industry federal court cases where uh, so-called fringe benefits, meaning healthcare and pensions, are decided to be a so-called mandatory subject of collective bargaining. That's to say, if you have a recognized union, your employer must negotiate on these subjects with you or they're violating the law. So there, you know, the result of this is this kind of infamous public-private welfare state that that organized labor builds. Uh, you know, not totally of its own volition, right? It's an effect and part of repression and defeat. But that organized labor builds over the course of the post-war period. These benefits get better and better and better with each contract cycle. By the end of the fifties, the steel workers are um, like they're contributing zero dollars to their premiums, and. I think it's helpful to think of that as in terms of like islands of economic security, mm -hmm. very, large, very large islands, especially in places like Pittsburgh. Um, right. Because there's, you know, I mean, in 1950 steel workers are about a fifth of the labor market in Pittsburgh. And then, you know, their families are also covered by these programs, their legal dependents, their wives, their children, sometimes others. So uh, there are these islands, but the important thing also to understand about these islands is that 
they're connected to the rest of the working class in various ways, even as they're also kind of stratified out from them. But then I think to return to the welfare state question, um, you know, that same principle kind of holds in a broader way. So if you think about like, what is health insurance? It's a sort of a coupon, right? Um, (laughs) For like a voucher. Um, It's a kind of income, but income that you can only spend at one place or one kind of place. And that kind of place, that's say a hospital, especially in mid 20th century, but even down to the present is very labor intensive. So like a lot of what your health insurance dollar is going to buy is uh, in fact, the wages and attention of the people who work at the hospital and the people who work at the hospital are not on the island of security, right? Right. They are uh, not covered by labor law. They're not legally employees for purposes of collective bargaining, for purposes of like the minimum wage until the 60s. Um, they're hired from the most marginal sectors of the labor market, which means that they're women in Pittsburgh. It means that they're black very disproportionately elsewhere. It would be more immigrants. And so uh, that's important to understand because what it means is that the Island thing, right? The private provision of economic security to sections of the working class, both stratifies the working class and also establishes an indirect relationship of exploitation within the working class. You know, that's not like steelworkers become the capitalist class, but their reproduction is organized around and through insecure labor, right? Um, So that is all like the kind of, uh, in some ways, the setup. (laughs) And then the question then becomes, what happens when deindustrialization strikes? To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the death panel.